Bible. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61, but let's pray. Father, Lord, we just take pause in the next few moments. We thank you for the sweet sense of your Holy Spirit that's already been here this morning and what you've already done and accomplished in us just by being together and together in the Spirit. Lord, that you would move in the next moment, Father, to speak through me as you would have me to speak. Open our ears to hear, Lord, just to see the goodness of God in these last days for his, for his church, Lord. You are so sweet. You are so good. And Lord, let, our, get our, let, our, get our, let us get our eyes, our eyes on you, our eyes on you, Lord, that we would just be overwhelmed by who you are and who you call us to be. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Isaiah chapter 61. I want to talk to you about bittersweet, but really a better title for this morning is Jesus, my Jubilee. Psalms uh, 119.103, we just read it earlier this morning, but it says that his words are like honey on my lips. Uh, and I was thinking about what that meant as far as the sweetness of God. And how many people have heard the term bittersweet, right? We use that term. What does it mean, bittersweet? Is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? And so I was like, well, it's good and bad. It's bitter and sweet. And bittersweet, that's one of the events I think about as far as a bittersweet moment would be that day where your child graduates high school and they're about to leave the house and go off to college. And so it's a bittersweet moment. It's bitter in the sense that, oh, my baby's growing up and they're leaving the house and it's so sad. You look at their baby album and you want to cry all day long. But it's sweet in the sense that I get to choose the channel. I get, I get, I don't have to wait in line for the bathroom. You know, it's sweet in the sense that, hey, they've become who they're supposed to be and excited that they've grown up and we love them and we're proud of the boy or girl, a man or woman, they are, right? And parents say amen. You, it's a bittersweet moment. But it's more bitter if you sat at home all month long and you just cried over those baby photo albums and you just went to their bedroom and, oh, my baby's going to college and I'm all by myself stuck with you. You know, like you're, you're there and it's just, it's bitter, but it's whatever you focus on, right? It's bittersweet, but it could definitely be more bitter. We went to a, uh, we went, got a little getaway this weekend with my family just to get along with, uh, with the girls and have some memories and we stayed at a hotel and I kid you not, is this, that went to the hotel lobby to get a cup of coffee after breakfast, and I drank the strongest cup of coffee I have ever had in my entire life. I don't know what that woman put in this, but the spoon melted, you know, when you put it in. And, and I, you just kept pouring the sugar, and it never got any sweeter. And I am not a coffee person, but in my, uh, I don't know if it's kids or ministry or whatever, but now I have to have it uh, to get through the day. But I have to have it this perfect balance of bitter and sweet for me to drink it. Otherwise, I can't do it. And it was no matter how much sugar you put into it, the bitter was always louder, right? And I think in the world today, what the church is going through is that we have so much bitter, we forget about the sweeter. And there's so many things that could be louder and stronger that are bitter today. I think about all the things that we go through of life that offers many trials and tribulations. And life can be bitter. Not to mention in 2020, many of us have lost jobs. We've uh, been political unrest and uncertainty in our country. There's been an economic recession and pandemic and fires and hurricanes and some more hurricanes and maybe some more hurricanes. All that to go on in our life. And, and let's just get it get personal. And even for me, 
This year, our church has lost several, several people. I've done more funerals this year than I have in many of the years combined. And for me personally, I've lost four dear people uh, to me, to my ministry, that were strong encouragements, uh, both verbally and in their service. And, and I've gone through this last week and said, Lord, another one. Man, another one. Now, many in this room, we've, some of us have lost relatives, moms or dads. It's been a bitter year. 2020 has been a very bitter year. And you wonder, and you go through this week and you say, God, man, what, what's going on? Why is this year so hard? Or why is life so bitter? And I think about the early church and all that they went through. Many of these people in the book of Acts in the early church, they lost their jobs. Uh, they went to prison for their faith. Many of them lived in a barbaric time of war, of civil unrest. They had all kinds of socioeconomic challenges, more than we'll ever face. Uh, they had no medicine. They had no government assistance. They didn't have air-conditioned church. They didn't have chairs with padded seats. They didn't have any of this stuff. They didn't even have running water or electricity. They were there, and all they had was God. And yet here in, you see these stories of them in prison cells, men beaten and abused and whipped, and yet they're, what are they doing? They're singing. They're rejoicing because even in the bitter, Jesus was sweet. Even in the bitter, Jesus was sweet. Everything they experienced, they had this overcoming sense to rejoice in affliction. Remember that verse in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul says in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is in abundance through Christ. I have all this suffering in abundance, but guess what? The abundance of Christ in my life, it makes it worthwhile. It's sweeter, even in the midst of bitter. And I think about that verse we quote very often, that we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Paul had something sweeter in his life in the midst of the bitter. Jesus was their jubilee. So I have one question for you and I today is that how is it that you're, all the things you're going through right now in life or this year, how is all the bitter things making Jesus that much sweeter? Because though the bitter may be ours in affliction, so also is the comfort, the sweetness of Jesus will overcome and overshadow and be just as strong as all of the bitter. Somebody say, Amen. Jesus, our jubilee. Jesus is sweeter than my bitter. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, and talk to you about the good news. And let's set up the stage for this. Israel, before, this is Old Testament, Israel had a divided kingdom, north and south. They both ended up going into exile. They find themselves now, years later, in the nation of Babylon. Judah is the primary nation there, and they have been there for 150 years since Isaiah ever lived. And Isaiah is prophesying over this nation in exile. And he tells them there is a Messiah coming, one who's going to bring your redemption. But you've got to get the, the day in mind. They're living as like sharecroppers, we'd understand it. They are slaves. They are indentured servants. You've got people like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you've got people like uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. Think about the days of Esther. That's kind of this same time period. And there, some of them are living an okay life, and some of them are not. But the same is true is that there's no place to worship God. 
There's no temple to go to. They are far from their homeland. Grandpappy's land, who knows what's happened to it. Our family's homeland is gone. The family farm, we have no hope to go back to grandpa's land anymore and the land that God gave us. There's no inheritance. Our children are being assimilated into this Babylonian culture. Our children will never know the presence of God like we did. Our children are losing their distinctive identity. They're taking on Babylonian names. They know more about Babylonian religion than our religion. They know about Babylonian culture more than our culture, and we're losing this fight. Anybody ever felt that in the world we live in today? We're losing this fight for the next generation, and they're hopeless, and they're despairing, and they say, there's no chance for rebuilding our life. There's no chance for restoration. There's no chance for renewal. But look what he says in Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Isaiah is prophesying this about what the Messiah, the Redeemer, would say. The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. Everybody say good news. Good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives, the freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland or beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. And they'll be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They'll, be, they'll rebuild the ancient ruins. They'll raise up the former devastations. They'll repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Now, that would have been a hopeful word to you had you been one of those people. Let me give you a little bit more history lesson in this. In Leviticus, God had told Israel every seven years you'll have a year of rest, a year of, of blessing. It's going to be a sabbatical year. Uh, that sabbatical year, every seven years, if you lost your family farm and you went in debt, maybe you had to go work that debt off underneath someone as a quote-unquote slave. Not like we'd think in American slavery, but you had to go work the debt off, okay? Every seven years... It would be the year of the Sabbath, the Sabbath year, the sabbatical year. They would release your debt. Wouldn't you love on the sixth year just to rack those credit card bills up? No, and on the seventh year, hey, everybody, no debt, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Every seven years, the government just came in and said, everybody's debt paid in full. People would go crazy, wouldn't they? They just, everybody's debt was paid in full. You had to release people of their debt. And it was God's way of reminding them that I have purchased your redemption. Remember, y'all were slaves in Egypt, but I'm the one who makes you free. You shouldn't be a slave because I am the Lord, your Redeemer, your Liberator, okay? So every seven years, they did that. Now, every seven times seven, every seventh, seventh year, so every 49 years, right? Seven times seven. Every seventh sabbatical year, it was the 49th year, and they would proclaim that. What we would know is called the year of jubilee or jubilation that word means ram's horn the blowing of a trumpet right uh, jub jubilee means ram's horn the blowing of a ram's horn the year of jubilee so on that 50th year what they would do on the 50th year they would let the land lay nobody would plant anything and the heirloom seeds would come up and the poor would get to reap the harvest that nobody the land would rest from tilling the slaves likewise would be released the debts would be forgiven and if you had lost grandpappy's farm years ago, even 48 years ago, your family sold the family farm because you couldn't pay your debts, 
everybody got to move back to the homestead. Wouldn't that be something to show up 50 years later and say, hey, we're back. We're moving back into the land that God gave us. And it was God doing a reset, a new beginning. Don't you like new beginnings? Man, God will give you a new beginning. In 50 years, a whole country started over. Now, wouldn't that be something? The whole country, we want to need that in America right now. The whole country just started over every 50 years. God did that to remind them that that's who he is and what he has done. But now fast forward in exile. These people have no hope of going back to grandpappy's farmland. They've got no hope of a temple being rebuilt because it's in ashes. They've got no hope of restoration. They've got no hope in their kids having an identity. Nobody's bringing the year of Jubilee back. It is dead. We are slaves. We're not going back to that place. Who's going to free us from this Babylonian captivity? And then Isaiah says, but there's someone coming who is your Redeemer. And here's what he says. He speaks to, I'm going to talk to you about who is the mourners, who is he, what will he do, and then what will they do. For them, it was only bad, bitter news. And he comes to these people, he says, I'm coming to those who are mourning. Who are the mourners? That's the exiles. That's those who are mourning their captivity. But spiritually speaking, he's speaking uh, into the future. He's speaking to a day where all kinds of people are exiled from the presence and the promises of God. People are captive to their sin. It's ultimately sin that got them into exile in the first place. And so he says, I'm coming to those who are weeping over the status of their condition. For instance, you ever looked in the world and just said, God, it is just not right out here. I think we're all doing that right now in, in, the, in the nation. You just look around the world, violence and war and the earth is shaking and tossing and things are just not right. You look around, man, this shouldn't be right. There's no truth. There's no justice. Right is not right anymore. Wrong is not wrong anymore. Man, no, you can't believe anything anybody says on TV. It's just all messed up. And you look at the world. How many people say it's just not right? The whole world. It's just not right. That shouldn't happen to good people. And man, that's happening. But you also look and you say, God, in here, it's also not right. Man, apart from God, I know I don't, I don't want to think these thoughts. I don't want to feel these feelings. I know who I've hurt in my life. I know the bad decisions I've made. I know what kind of person I am without Jesus. And a mourner is one who's grieving and says, Lord, it's not right out there, but it's also not right in here. And he's speaking to that kind of a person, the people who are mourning the captivity and the reason they're in captivity. It's because, God, the reason this world is the way it is is because of the way it is right here. God, we're mourning. And all these people are saying, we need someone to save us. How many people say that? We are needing someone to save us. He comes to the meek, the poor, the humble, the brokenhearted, those who are afflicted, the poor in spirit. Remember what Jesus said? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be, what? Comforted. You say, come, Messiah, come. So he's coming to those who are saying, God, we need this. I recognize Jesus isn't coming to someone who doesn't think they need a Savior. He's coming to those who need a Savior. I know, Lord, the world is not right. It's not right in here. And he says, who is he? He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Who's me? Some people say it's Isaiah. But Isaiah is prophesying in the future. And remember that time, the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Luke chapter 4? What does he say? Luke chapter 4, verse 16 says, He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom, he entered the synagogue on a Sabbath day. He stood up to read. Somebody happened to give him the prophet Isaiah scroll. He rolled it open. He opened the book, found the place where it was written. And guess what he quoted? 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to free those who are oppressed, proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He closed the book, gave it back to the guy, sat down, and he told them, Today, in your presence, this verse has been fulfilled. This has been fulfilled. Jesus was saying, I'm the guy. Yes, sure, Israel was going to come out of captivity and go back to their homeland, but I'm the new Moses. I'm the guy who's come to liberate those who are captive into the sin-filled world, who are under the oppression of the enemy over death and sin and shame and all of its consequences, who got no hope to be in the presence and the promises of God. I am here to proclaim you good news. You know what that word good news means? It means herald of joy. I have come to give you joy, to restore you, and we're going to have this great procession of saints. And I'm going to make a way through the places that seem to be no way. You say, I can't ever get out of this sin. I can't ever get out of this condition. It's not right out there, God. It's not right in me. I need a Savior. And Jesus says, I come to give you joy. I've come to give you a way into the back to the place where you have heritage, identity, blessing, prosperity. He's not talking just in the natural, but in the spirit. I'm talking about a place where you go and you know that God is God and God is good. That things are only going to get better for you because you're under the blessing of heaven. Somebody say amen. That's what he's come to do. He says, I'm anointed. I'm a priest. Priests were anointed. I'm anointed to give you the herald of joy that the day of captivity, it's over. It's over. Isn't that good news? All right, let's go on. He says, all right, so who are the mourners? Who is he? What will he do? I want to give you, just go through this verse by verse to show you how good Jesus is. Because like I said before, sometimes things are so bitter, you don't know the sweeter. And what is the sweeter? The first is, he says, he's a redeemer. He came to pay our debts. He says, I've come to give you the good news of joy to proclaim the year of God's favor. Today is a day of salvation. It's where God's grace is poured out to you. He says, I'm redeemer. I'm deliverer. He came to proclaim the liberty to the captives. What does he say? He says, proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. They have vengeance. A verse before that, he says, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. In the Hebrew, that actually means to doubly open. It means that in the prison, in a dungeon, not like our HBO dungeons and prisons today, right? We don't have internet in this prison. You'd go down to the dungeon where there's no light. You'd often go blind because there's no one there. It's darkness. So you'd have darkness around you and chains upon you. And look what Jesus does when John the Baptist asks him, are you the one? He says, look, the lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the poor have the good news preached to them. When Jesus comes, he doesn't just half open the prison. He opens the door, he breaks the chains, he opens the blind. It would be one thing just to let them out of prison. They'd still be blind. He says, I'm going to heal your condition both physically and spiritually. Don't you know that when Jesus comes and he comes back and he parts the eastern sea, our eastern sky, he's going to proclaim with a shout of the trumpet, the dead in Christ, they're going to get a new physical body, all all the sickness, disease, cancer goes away. The physical is done over and done with, and they get a new spiritual body as well. It's both physical and spiritual. Jesus doesn't do things halfway. He doesn't do things halfway. When you come to Jesus, it's total, complete, double freedom. That's what he's saying. I'm giving you double freedom. Somebody say amen. I'm going to have double freedom. 
He's redeemer. He's deliverer with double freedom. He's healer. He comes to bind the brokenhearted. He's comforter to comfort those who mourn. This man of sorrows becomes a joy bringer. He says, I'm coming to those who are sitting in ashes. What was ashes? In the ancient times, think about the story of Job. Job put sackcloth on him, black clothes, like we would put black clothes on a funeral. They take ashes from the fire. They put it on their forehead. Maybe you've seen this in Mideastern countries. And they beat their breasts, and they wail, and they weep, and they agonies, and they sit out. They don't go to things. They don't go to parties. They don't go to normal stuff. And they just sit outside their house or at the gate, and they just wail, my son, my daughter, my father, my mother. Somebody in my family's died. And Jesus says, I've come to take those ashes that are on your forehead, that sign of mourning, and trade it into something. He says, I'm going to give you beauty for ashes. Well, the middle word of beauty, some of your translations say beauty. The middle word of beauty is actually turban. What he's saying there is, I'm going to give you a garland. Remember those laurel wreaths you've seen, you know, in, in Roman times where, or a turban like you'd see on the, I don't know, Aladdin or something, a, with diamonds and stuff on it. What he's saying is, I'm going to wipe off the ashes of your head, that symbol of mourning. I'm going to set on you this turban, which was for honored guests at a banquet feast, and put you in a position where everyone's not looking at you and saying, wow, their life is crazy, it's horrible it's bitter. They're going to look at you and say, wow, what a privileged position they have. What place of honor they have. What place of glory they have. It's beautiful where they were and now to where they are. Don't you know Jesus does that? That he looks at a person and says, man, their life was in disarray, but in the future and the ages to come, he's going to seat you in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I'm going to give you beauty for ashes, a garland, a headdress of beauty for your ashes. Not only that, he says, I'm going to give you the oil of gladness. And, um, remember, they didn't wear deodorant back in the day, okay? Maybe some of us need to. Anyway, uh, they, didn't, they didn't have, so when you come to a party, they would spray perfume on you. When you would come to your, somebody comes to your house, spray perfume when they come in, wouldn't that be something? Anyway, they spray perfume on you when you come to this party, especially honored guests. And it was called the oil of gladness to symbol, symbolize favor. But that word uh, gladness in the Hebrew actually means oil of jubilation. Oil of jubilation. I'm going to take this status of gloom that you have. You've been sitting outside, not taking a bath for weeks. You've been sitting by the ash heap. I'm going to take that and I'm going to anoint you with the oil of the Holy Spirit, the oil of joy and jubilation. I'm going to take your weeping and turn it into dancing. I'm going to take your crying and where I'm going to take you and Revelation it says there'll be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain for the former things have passed away. And guess what? All things become new. That's what he does for you. How many people have the oil of the Holy Spirit? That's the oil of jubilation. And he goes on, he says, I'm going to take their, their mantle, this black sackcloth, the robes that are black, and I'm going to take them. It's like Joseph in the coat of many colors. That was the color of gladness, of favor, this garment of praise, a mantle. They had before a mantle of heaviness. Now they have a mantle of praise, a new position, a favored position, where God has given them robes of righteousness. And he takes that dirty, dark things you've been going through in this life and mourning that it's not right in the world, it's not right right in me. He says, I honor you with a beautiful headdress. I anoint you with the oil of jubilation. I give you a mantle of praise, of dancing, something. And what he's saying is, on this side of the world, it may be like a funeral, but on this side, it's going to be like a wedding. 
And this year, I have done more funerals than I cared to have ever done for good, good, close friends. But here's what I know. As I go through this life, I say, God, why? It is so bitter this week to bury another one. A dear personal friend of mine, a leader, a board member in this church. But I know that on this side, as we're having a funeral, on this side, they're having a wedding. On this side, we have funerals. On that side, for God's saints, it's a wedding. Even in the bitter, it's sweeter. Are you with me this morning? Even in the bitter, because Jesus is my jubilee. He is my year of jubilee. And He is restorer. He is defender. And my question for you today, is Jesus making your bitter bearable? Does he make your bitter bearable? Are you so focused on the bitter things of this life, you forget that every day with Jesus, we sing a song, is sweeter, sweeter than the day before. That he's sweeter. His words are like honey on my lips. That even though I go through the bee sting of trying to get that honey, man, it's worth it because I've got Jesus. That it is good news of herald of joy. It is the oil of jubilee. And you have a question here. Jesus comes that I've come to set. This is the year where captivity ends and freedom begins. And that is the year of Jubilee. The question for you and I is, what year do you want to live in? Do you want to live in 2020? Or do you want to live in the year of Jubilee? You can live in the year of Jubilee if you're in Jesus. And they can look at you and say, how in the world are you in prison and you're singing? How in the world are you, you mourning? Everybody's mourning what's going on in our country and our nation. How are y'all so confident and happy and excited? You say, well, Jesus is my jubilee. Jesus makes everything bitter sweeter. Amen? It's just that simple, y'all. It's just to believe and look at this text and say, God, have you really done that for me? Do I have the oil of gladness? Do I have the mantle of praise? Do I have the beauty for ashes? Has he given that to you by faith? Have you received it? Do you look to him and say, God, I don't feel good, but I know that you are good. God, it doesn't look good. I don't see it. But let me tell you what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, as I wrap it up with this. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, anybody feel like sometimes your outer man's decaying, right? We're falling apart. It says the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. He says, for a moment we face light affliction, and it's, but yet it's producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond our comprehension. He says, while we look not at the things which are here, which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things right now are just temporary, but the things which are seen there are eternal. Jubilee. Everything may be bitter, but with Jesus, it's always sweeter. And you can live in 2020, or you can live in the year of Jubilee. You can believe on what he says. You can claim it by faith. You can live in the life of mourning and saying, God, it's just not right. It's just not right. It's just not right. It's just not right. Or you can say, Lord, 
Man, with you, everything is right. Jesus, with you, everything is better. Jesus, you change my mourning into dancing. You seat me in heavenly places with you. You give me the oil of gladness for my fellows. God, you have poured out abundance on my life. And the question is, have you put enough honey in your coffee? Have you put enough in that maybe your life right now is just kind of blah, and I mean, I've, we've lost people, and my job, and my family, and all this stuff's going on in the world, and we get mad at politics, and, but yet, you just need to dump some more honey in, y'all. Just say, Jesus is always sweeter. Everything bitter is sweeter with Jesus. Amen? Would you stand with me today? I'm going to ask our worship team just to come. Jesus is sweeter than my bitter. Jesus is my year of jubilee. Even though we may be in captivity in this life, we don't have all the fullness of everything yet. We can believe by faith that Jesus has come. We have the herald of joy. We have the oil of joy. We live in a year of God's favor. That our Sabbath year is right now. It's in Jesus. It's freedom has come. Our debts have been paid. Today, you can have all of your debt wiped away with Jesus Christ. Today, you can be totally free and forgiven. Today, you can have restoration. God can rebuild the ancient ruins that were broke down. He can rebuild the things. Maybe you had a bad family life and a bad heritage, and it was passed down from family to family. Jesus can undo that with the Word and bring restoration for a new beginning for your family, for your children and your children's children. He can bring restoration. He can heal your wounds. He can restore your soul. He can satisfy you like nobody else. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and say, Pastor Heath, it's just been so bitter. We've lost people, stress of a virus, stress of work, and all this stuff that sense of overcoming? Have you lost that sense of joy? Have you lost that sense of the goodness of God? And I'm going to ask you just to simply believe it by faith again. Just to believe it, that you can stretch out your hands today and you can receive from your heart today that Jesus is sweeter. That if you begin to taste and see, the Lord's going to be good. You begin to apply His words and receive His words today, it's going to satisfy your soul. It's going to rebuild Yes. 
say what's right and wrong. You get to say what we should and should not do because your way is better. And so, Lord, we surrender our will. We crucify our flesh and we come to you in repentance and we turn from the way we were thinking, living, and doing and say, Holy Spirit, help us to think, live, and do the way Jesus wants to. And, Lord, we know we may not be perfect, but you are perfection for us. And we live and trust only in Christ alone done for us on the cross by grace through faith we believe today we confess our dependency on you and we confess jesus to the world so holy spirit fill us today if you believe that you confess that you pray a prayer like that it's not about what i pray but you in your heart right now you can make it new and right with jesus or you're here today likewise you say pastor Heath, and i'm going to raise my hand and say it's been a hard year a hard few weeks i've lost people i've gone through things God, I just need Jesus to be a little sweeter in these next days and weeks. How many people just raise your hand and say that? I just want it to be a little sweet. Man, hands all over the place. Lord, you see our hands. You see, God, that it's been bitter in this year. But Lord, by faith, we don't have to live in a place of bitterness. Even though we go through trials and tribulations with Jesus, it's always sweet. Jesus, you are always sweet. You bring the joy back to us. So God, Father, we pray you will restore to us the joy of our salvation. You just begin to confess that to him. That's just between you and him all across this place. You just begin to cry out to him in your own way that Jesus would restore your joy. Jesus would be sweet to you. Come on, saints, those of you who know how to pray, let's just begin to seek the Lord. It's because of the praise of our lips, the meditation of our hearts. So God, let it be pleasing to you. Jesus, by faith, by faith, we confess you have the joy we need. Let's just receive it this morning. Come on. Jesus, we receive it by faith. 